0: Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. And the title of our podcast today is Be Before You Do. Be Before You Do. It's a part two coming out of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book. Now, we are in part two of a series uh, that I'm doing on each of the chapters uh, in the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book. It's meant to supplement your reading and provide... Uh, further discussion around the content of the book now we've got a great set of uh, introduction videos and an excellent discussion guide that's available for you free Uh, and I want to invite you to go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash discipleship that's emotionallyhealthy.org slash discipleship and uh, get a hold of that discussion guide and take a look at some of the other videos and resources I think you'll find them very very helpful I wrote this book in such a way that uh, it wasn't meant to be a quick read by any means. It was written uh, over a very long period of time that you would wrestle with it personally uh, and in your leadership uh, as you build uh, your ministry and church. So it's different than the other books I mentioned last week. The Emotionally Healthy Leader is uh, directly at the person of the leader, Uh, Emotionally Spirituality, uh, which is a broad book written to the uh, entire church as a general introduction to what is emotionally healthy spirituality, uh, and forms the basis of the uh, first part of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course. But then there's Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, this book that just just was released, and this is about culture. It's a biblical framework uh, to build a church culture that deeply transforms people's lives. And uh, so it's really a synthesis of... Uh, our 26 years of thinking uh, to equip the church for the future. Now, we as a church of Jesus Christ globally are under great pressure. There are cascading crises and birth pangs coming upon us as the church uh, from a variety of directions, and they're revealing the cracks and some of the shallowness uh, that marks us. Everything from the COVID 19 pandemic that has changed life as we know it uh, to the unceasing scandals uh, in church leaders. Uh, to the highlighting of racial injustice, that's not simply in the culture but in the church as well, to just challenges to historic biblical Christianity in areas like sexuality, gender, marriage, to the great transitions going on around us in our economies, in our institutions. Uh, It is a time of great pressure and great change. And so thus there is a need for a further equipping of the church. And the subtitle of the book, Emotionally of the Discipleship, is Moving from shallow Christianity to deep transformation, and so what I've uh, attempted to do here is highlight missing pieces of discipleship that we need in the church in the 21st century. Uh, and talking about, I'm talking really about things that are far-reaching, foundational. Uh, I like to call it a new operating system, an extreme makeover, if you like. It's it's a very slow, and I wrote with a, a view towards not simply our generation. But the next generation uh, that will be stepping into leadership. Uh, and I am passionate for the mission of the church. And I want to see us equip uh leaders in their 20s and 30s uh, who will be leading the church and hopefully to flourish in the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years uh, as they then go out and develop leaders and pastors for the future. So last week we talked about the four failures that undermine deep discipleship and how it was critical to identify them. And so now, in the rest of the chapters in the book, what I'm going to do is basically uh, work out the seven marks of a church culture that deeply changes lives that we call Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And so today, uh, we're going to deal with number one, the first mark of Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, which is simply be before we do, be before you do. Now, without this first mark, it's not possible to do the rest of the marks of uh, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Because what happens, we will do the rest of them flippantly, and they will remain as head knowledge to us, just something we read in a book and regurgitated, but not actually resulting in life change. So, for example, the first mark, again, is be before you do, which we're going to talk about today. But without this one, uh, we can't do the second mark, which is follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. Because that takes time. That takes reflection. That takes being. Uh, Then the third mark is embrace the gift of limits. That, too, takes time and reflection and being. Uh, The fourth mark is discover the treasures buried in grief and loss. And again, that can't be done without time and reflection and being. The fifth mark is make love the measure of spiritual maturity. That, too, takes time and reflection and being. The sixth mark is break the power of the past. And the seventh is lead out of weakness and vulnerability. And each of those take time and reflection and and being. So let's go into uh, this first mark, Be Before You Do, because it's so vast. And actually, I went back and looked at all the notes that I'd written that never made the book. And it was about 16, 17 pages, single spaced. It was quite a bit because it was such a large theme, Be Before You Do. Uh, Now, let me explain what it actually means. A person who is being before doing... Operates from a place of emotional and spiritual fullness, deeply aware of themselves, others, and God. And as a result, their being with God is sufficient to sustain their doing for God. So uh, they live, we, when, we're, when we're living out of our being before doing, uh we're consistently living out of this fullness emotionally and spiritually. And it impacts every area of our lives. So Emotional fullness is referring to things like I'm I'm highly aware of my feelings, my weaknesses, my limits, my body, how my past impacts my present, how others are experiencing me. And I'm actually able to enter into the uh, feelings and perspective of others because I'm so in touch with my own. But it's not just emotional fullness. There's a spiritual fullness that reveals itself in 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 an excellent balance between being and doing. And so I don't engage in more activities uh, than my spiritual or physical or emotional reserves can actually sustain. I I enjoy Jesus. I I receive from God more than I actually do for Him. I've got sustainable, healthy rhythms to handle the demands of life and leadership, and my cup is consistently full, uh, not empty. And when it begins to get depleted, I'm highly aware of that, and I make adjustments. Uh, And uh, I recognize that the greatest gift I give everybody around me is flowing out of my own presence, my own person. And so I've got this commitment to be, to not allow my doing to exceed my being. So let me explain what it's not as well. So if that's what it means to be before you do, uh, uh, it's not necessarily just spending time, a lot of time with God. I mean, I did that for years. I I had a cave, and so I've always been very disciplined in my uh, devotions and prayer and scripture, Uh, very committed to worship, uh, uh, very committed to attending conferences and uh, networking and learning and, and getting anointings from different movements of God, but I was not in touch at all with my feelings or what was going on inside of me very deeply, my shadow, my fears, my anxieties, my perfectionism. Uh, i just wasn't very reflective uh internally I, I didn't know how i didn't know what that even would look like uh i was unaware of what we often call as the false self uh inside of me my self-protectiveness my my self-promotion my manipulative tendencies possessiveness etc i i just had a very limited theology of how god even enables one to access those inner depths of my life, and uh, I had a limited toolbox of how to get at it. Uh, very few models of it, and so even my uh, my time with God of worship, or or conferencing, or whatever, it was still very much a doing, interceding, getting the work done focus versus being uh, with God. And so I I, I developed a, a little test over time. That, and I just invite you to just consider this. So these, I, what do, how do I know symptomatically in me when my doing exceeds my being? And I had these kind of, I had these like 10 symptoms. And again, this applies to me and some of them may apply to you, but uh, it'd be helpful for you to think about some of your own. So minor things like, I know my b- doing exceeds my being when I can't shake the pressure that I feel like I have too much to do in too little time. I know my doing exceeds my being when, I, when I'm when i ignoring the stress and anxiety and tightness in my body. I know my doing exceeds my being when I'm fearful uh, about the future, uh, when I'm concerned what other people think. I I know my doing exceeds my being when I'm rushing. Big big thing for me. Uh, I know my doing exceeds my being when I'm preoccupied and distracted and giving off quick opinions and judgments. When I when I spend more time talking than than listening, and the list goes on. But it's helpful for you to begin to develop your own. Uh, what are those? Uh, symptoms for, for you. But throughout history, this to be before one does uh, has has been talked about all through church history by leaders and bishops, etc. And, and we see it originally in, in in the story of Mary and Martha where we see Martha uh, in Luke 10, 38-42 to 42, sitting at the feet of Jesus and we see Martha active serving Jesus. Uh, and Martha's upset and agitated and frustrated because with Jesus and with Mary and she tells Jesus what to do, you know. Tell her to help me, and uh, and Jesus says, "No, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her." But it's that it's that balance of scales of uh, being and doing, and so it's interesting how Luke wrote about it in in the first century, and then if you follow church history, and I did a study of this once. Every generation, uh, they talked about that, how it applied, everything from people from Augustine to Bernard to Calvin. Uh, to the Puritans, to present day, of how do I balance, because we're all Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, being with him, and at the same time, we're, we're doing, uh, like Martha, we're serving Jesus, and, and how do we hold those two together? But what's interesting is we see that being uh, before you do dynamic also in Jesus, uh, in his ministry, uh, where he is he's being with the Father before he launches his ministry, and the, in his baptism we see that, and his 30 years before launching, and as well we see him intentionally uh, going to a desert place to be alone, uh, and then coming out and doing active ministry. We see that same call on when he calls the 12. He calls them to be with him, and then he sends them out to preach. Uh, we see the 12 in the early church doing the same thing, the priority of Acts 6 of being in the Word and prayer, out of which their ministry flowed. And we see it actually in the early church as well, and, As uh, they developed a catechumenate, a a training, uh, they recognized that leaders, their disciples, people in churches, needed depth to handle the persecutions that were coming their way. They needed a being with God uh, out of which they would serve him. And then, of course, we see it in the theologians and the early church fathers, uh, in the early centuries of the church, that most of the great pastors and leaders referred to as the doctors of the church were first monks, prayers, anchored in a life of being with God, of prayer, out of which they became bishops and etc theologians and, and so in, in, in history and again we're living in a unique time in history in the 21st century with an incredible uh, uh activity level movement get it done make things happen that it's hard to even imagine this kind of a thrust to be before one does but But these three statements, and you've heard them from before, and I'll say them again because they're so important, they summarize this be-before-you-do approach to leadership and to life, which is you cannot give what you do not possess, what you do is important, but who you are is even more important, and the state you are in is the state you give to others. And uh, I, I just love those three statements. To me, they summarize everything that we're trying to work out here in Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And so, as I was pondering how to communicate this in just one chapter, uh, I, I, I just I so I spent so much time wrestling with again not just my, myself first of all how have I worked this out over the last you know almost three decades, and then what have I observed, and then what have I learned? What do we learn from history? And so, I, I, I have four practices or four uh, four things we must do, I believe, to actually slow it down to be before we do and uh, as followers of, of Jesus and as leaders for Jesus. So the first is this, and I'll go through each one of them slowly and i make a few other final comments and applications for myself. Uh, the first is that we make a radical decision, similar to the Desert Fathers in the 3rd to the 4th and 5th centuries. And again, there's nothing in Western culture today and in the church culture today that uh, encourages us to actually be before we do. It's almost like we're on drugs uh, and we can't get off crack or heroine of doing, of 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 rushing, of getting more do- as much done in every spare moment of time that we can, even in the name of God. And as I first began to learn of be before doing, I, I, I dove deep into the desert fathers of the third, fourth, and fifth centuries, who immediately they recognized the challenge that the church had become as worldly as the world, and they began to the flee to the desert uh to escape the shallowness and indistinctness in the church from the wider culture. And they fled to the deserts, first of Egypt and North Africa, to be with God. And as we'll see in a few minutes, to be with themselves. It's not just being with God, it's being with yourself, uh, so you can actually be with God and other people. But this movement uh, of, of Christian men and women, who then came in large numbers, uh, became one of the great church movements and renewal times in, in, in church history. Uh, As people came from all over the world, and they actually formed the foundation of spirituality uh, throughout the Middle Ages uh, through the 1500s, and of course continues today through monastic movements around the world in Catholic, Orthodox, and even Evangelical and Protestant churches. But they understood themselves as following the ancient paths of Moses, Elijah, and John the Baptist. And uh, so this radical decision is basically, it's, it's us saying to ourselves, I... Would rather die than not do this. In other words, I cannot not do this. Um, it's a radical decision—not just not end our addiction to drugs or alcohol, but to doing. In other words, it's a it's a similar decision like the Desert Fathers made. It's a clean and total break from our present habits and rhythms and way of functioning. And it's saying, I I I've got to flee from this overcommitment and hurry to learn to be before I do. And it's kind of like, I cannot not do this. I may not know how to do it, but I'd rather die than not go on this journey regardless of the cost. It's basically life and death. And so I'm monitoring myself daily uh, throughout the day in conversations and meetings. Uh, I'm monitoring myself weekly and then monthly and annually. I mean, I did it before I, as I prepared this podcast Uh, as well. I'm monitoring my being and doing, but it's, it's this first, that's this decision of saying, this is, I, 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 this is God. I I must do this to, to live out the life God's uniquely called me to live in the world. So that's number one. But the second, uh, core practice, the thing to do is, is to actually feel our feelings. Now, uh, this is, uh, again, the integration of emotional health and a slow down spirituality. Now, for most of my Christian life, the focus of my Christian life was upward and outward. Grow our church, reach people for Jesus, uh, multiply the ministry, learn how to be a better leader, etc. But I did not connect my relationship with Jesus to listening to my feelings before God. Uh, I was good at organizational charts and solving problems and doing things, but this journey inward was not something I had taken or I had anybody talked about, I I didn't look at the inner chaos of my thoughts and feelings. It was too messy. Uh, And I do not want to go down the thought of morbid introspection uh, because it'd be a waste of time is what I thought. And it was actually quite frightening. My my spirituality was very heavenly minded. And I meet many, many uh, people today, uh, leaders and we're very heavenly minded, but not earthly minded. And uh, it's one of things you learn from the early Christian writings, especially the Desert Fathers and Mothers, is that they were very earthly minded. Uh, they were very much coming to terms uh, with their uh, untamed emotions. They called them their passions, their less than pure motives, their shadows, we call it today. I like what Evagrius, one of the Desert Fathers, wrote. He said it best. He goes, you want to know yourself? You want to know God, he wrote? First, know yourself. In other words, the pathway to God inevitably passes through self-knowledge that you can't separate the two. And that's why we see in Scripture, we see Job ranting before God and Jeremiah's depression and suicidal thoughts and Moses' anguish in the wilderness and David's raw emotions throughout the Psalms in his life. And, but, but in other words, I, once, I began, began, once I began to feel, uh, become aware of what I was feeling and how it's, it was impacting me and others, I began to ask myself motive questions of why. Like, why am I in a hurry? Uh, why am I so impatient? You know, what is this anxiety in my body all about? Or why am I so angry at what this person said? Or why, why did I get so defensive when Jane told me she was thinking about leaving uh, the ministry? Or why, why, why am I avoiding conflict with this person that's uh, clearly not something so horrific but when I began to allow myself to feel, I realized my emotions were so underdeveloped that I began to integrate feeling before God, just, just you know, part of my devotional time. And I began to get really honest about why I was so uncomfortable in a particular conversation or why I was so angry when that person judged me. Uh, but I soon discovered that the truth is that when we're not in touch with what's going on inside of us, we are not in reality. But we're actually in illusion or denial. And I had a lot of that. And when we're not in reality, we're not in spirituality because an authentic spiritual life is not an escape from reality, but actually an absolute commitment to it. And so, what happens if we don't feel before God and integrate uh, our feelings and again get in touch with, now, again, the Desert Fathers will talk about all the monsters inside, like envy and jealousy and spiritual gluttony and lust and all this kind of stuff. But our failure to recognize what's going on in our interior worlds would cause us to miss so many gifts from God. Uh, uh, you know, actually, when our life is spinning out of control, God's coming to us, or our spouse is unhappy. or But our paradigm so often is so narrow that, oh yeah, God speaks through scripture and prophetic words and sermons and and prayer and worship sets, but and, and circumstances sometimes, but not my emotions, not the mess of that. But this slowing down to feel requires that we decide, you know, what are some practices that can help me actually come alive to my feelings and integrate them into my discernment of God. That's why uh, therapy is such a gift when done as a as an offering to of God and counseling and. Uh, but I'm helping up finding some folks who are ahead of me to 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 help me know myself better and, and get in touch with what's going on inside of me. Mentors, good mentors do that. Great spiritual directors. Um, you know, the, the going getting the right kind of ongoing education and conferences. So I, I was generally going to events and conferences, looking for people that would help me advance what I was doing. But I wasn't looking for people in the first, you know, half of my Christian life that were gonna actually help me get in touch with my being and help me be a better beer with God. And again, I saw that like Counseling or therapy, that's a distraction from getting God's work done. But no, no, you are God's work. This this goes back to a theology that you're made in God's image. Uh, and we mentioned this last week. There's there's a theology that you're, you're a whole person. That whole person has physical dimensions, emotional dimensions, spiritual dimensions, relational and intellectual. But uh, all of that needs to be touched by God. But the emotional dimension of who you are needs to be addressed and brought into the presence of Jesus. And the problem with, like, for example, in 2 Corinthians, and we see this in early church Gnosticism, is an overrealized realized eschatology uh, and a kind of a, again, it's almost like an early Gnosticism that, you know, not doing things like grief and loss, for example, which is one of the marks of emotionally healthy discipleship. And so people aren't grounded and not able to look at the impact of the past on the present with, present with any depth or actually embrace weakness. And I think it's one of the great challenges in the church today. We've got many super spiritual people who are not grounded. uh, And again, as a result, we have a shallowness and not a depth to our transformation. So we listen to God, not simply from the outside, but we listen to God from the inside, God inside of us by the Holy Spirit. And that's a revolution, one of the great revolutions, I, I believe, in, in, in the church needed today, that we listen to God both outside, but we listen to God from the inside, through who we are, through our feelings. So first, we make a radical decision. And second, we want to feel our feelings before God. Now take a deep breath and let that sink in. But thirdly, we integrate silence. That silence and stillness uh, become core spiritual practices to our lives. Not something we do once in a while, but it, we allow it to transform the way we follow Jesus and the way that we lead. In other words, if we're going to do for God out of our being with God, we must practice silence and stillness so that we can nurture our relationship with him and make room. Make room to surrender our will to his will uh, because we find out how hard that is. We find out how deep our self-will is. Uh, We let go of our agendas. We actually uh move from striving to get it done to build God's house for him to actually allow communion with God to become the basis out of which we do everything the core of our lives and leadership and we allow, we have space and time to let God transform us and and actually hear him speak instead of talking all the time and uh always talking to him and giving God direction but actually realizing uh no the core of leadership is uh, listening and actually following his direction for us and so I integrate silence and then finally I I, I move to a, a place of where the four I, I commune with Jesus all day long. so you've got this make a radical decision I feel my feelings I integrate silence and then fourthly I, I recognize that communion with God is is my life throughout the whole day that that is communion with him all through the day is core. In other words, it's not simply when I'm having devotions, but I'm, um, I'm I'm living in this familiar familiarity with familiarity with God's presence all the time, working, playing, cooking, leading a meeting, driving, uh, as well as worship, prayer, and Bible study. In other words, I'm just I'm abiding in Him all through every waking hour. So, uh, you know what that looks like. I, you know, for me, for example, I you know even I, I have visions and ideas and dreams all the time. Right. I live in opportunities, and so limits. Embracing limits is always a key challenge, and we'll get to that in a few weeks. But clear, looking at my schedule, being ruthless uh, is is really important to me. Of recognizing how long is this going to take to do such and such. right? So again, let's take the podcast. Preparing for this podcast each week, so I I, I come at it multiple times. Uh, you know, on a yellow pad and then typing. Uh, so I can do it prayerfully and on rush, but it just, it takes time. Uh, you know, I'm leading right now the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Course for Pastors and Leaders, just preparing for that. Um, and I, I may meet with an individual apart from that uh, around a certain segment, whether it's genogram or their grief chart or something, but I'll meet with them, I prepare for, and I, afterwards I gotta reflect on the meeting. Um, speaking, I, I am, uh, I think, I, I get a speaking invitation, regardless if it's a podcast or traveling somewhere, but I, the energy it takes, uh, everything from the phone calls. And so I, I've had to you know, reduce that, but I monitor my being and doing uh, and making sure I'm not speaking of things I don't have time to actually live, I'm not just spouting off old revelation in a sense. Um, in fact, we have an event coming up April 15th called The Four Greatest Challenges Facing the Church Today. And uh, it's an event that's meant to help apply the theology of emotionally other discipleship that, to the great challenges we're facing today. Like how do we define success? How do we flourish under unrelenting pressure? How do we lead in extreme political divisiveness uh, that we're encountering right now? And how do we hear God's voice with all the other voices floating around? And and uh, so this event, which uh, we created, was it just needs space. So today I've got a big chunk of time, my whole afternoon to just take the next step of uh, laying that out. And uh, in fact, if you want to check that out, go to EmotionallyHealthy.org and look into it. It's a four-hour event uh, on April 15th, a Thursday. But it's applying the seven marks of EH discipleship. But I want to be careful. I don't preach things or teach things that haven't had ample time to gestate and germinate inside of me. Uh, I recently told someone who, they asked me to write an article in a certain magazine uh, online, and I just let it sit there. And I I just realized, why don't I feel good about this? And I realized it wasn't that it's not a good magazine or anything like that. It was just that I realized I want that, I'm not the best person to write on that topic. And I actually wrote them back and suggested somebody else do it. Because for me, it felt, once I let myself sit with it, it I felt desolation. I didn't sense a, a an energy of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And uh, it even applies to, you know, my, my daughter's looking for an apartment. And to be before I do is, you know, she... We talked on the phone about her process and where she is and uh but I just took a bit of time after our phone call to think about it and her and what it means to get an apartment in New York City, how challenging that is, even in the middle of a pandemic uh and I just sat with it and I then called her and to encourage her as she took some as she's in her process and Some steps and how she can look at it and view herself in the long term. And it was just a good conversation, but it came out of being, of not having a thousand things on my mind, uh, so I could actually be present with her. But again, it's a daily thing, even on my devotions, how I approach devotions and how I'm reading scripture, uh, and allowing myself, I recently been in Mark 12, and just stopping when God grabs me with a, a phrase or a text and being willing to linger with it for days. Um, and go deeper in study uh, and let it be in me before I move on. And when God does that to me in a particular passage to actually stop. So let me invite you actually, you know, begin to create a container to be before you do. I'm talking about adjusting your job description, whatever your job is right now. Your first job is to be a, to be a disciple of Jesus and, and lead others out of that deep inner life with them. So I put for the first 10 years as I got into all this, my first line of my job description was to be before I do, to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, that's what I put, to grow as a disciple of Jesus and monitor my rhythms. Uh, and then it was things like I, I I put some anchors in there, like Sabbath, uh, the daily office, three, four times a day. Uh, had a rule of life, have a rule of life. Uh, always looking for companions that would help me move in my journey with Jesus. Uh And uh, it it was great. It was just great um, to, uh, and then I began to just continually, I still make adjustments years later of integrating new practices to slow my, slow me down. So my being uh, does not, my, my doing does not exceed my being. Uh, Listen, I, I let me just close with this thought. I, you know, David became my great hero uh, as a model leader of one who leads out of a place of being. He was a man after God's own heart with many roles and responsibilities, right? He was a king, he was a musician, he was a father, husband, warrior, politician. He had more pressure on him than most of us will ever carry. Yet his first identity was a seeker, a contemplative after God. So in Psalm 27.4, uh, when the enemies, his enemies were seeking to invade him, he, he wrote and he sang, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. And David didn't ask for wisdom or military plans or even success against the invading armies. His one request was to be with God and gaze upon his beauty. What a radical, astounding act of leadership. So if we're going to make this kind of dramatic shift to be before we do, I really think we need to begin to see our identity and our callings differently. That we're first and foremost prayers, men and women who seek God. remain with God, who allow ourselves to be held by God. And uh, if you're saying like me, this is too high a bar of discipleship or leadership. Uh, Just remember, as disciples said after the rich young ruler walked away thinking it was too hard, they said, who can be saved? And Jesus said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Love that text. So let me invite you. Go to EmotionallyHealthy.org slash discipleship. Pick up that Emotionally Healthy Discipleship maybe book, guide, videos. Check it out. Um, and may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you as you embark on this great journey of doing out of a place of deep being. God bless you, everybody.